Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. Hi everyone, on this week's episode of the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, I got to chat with David Kelly, the CEO of the Natural Diamond Council. That's the body tasked to promote and advance demand for natural diamonds. We discussed the NDC's current approach to marketing, its campaign with brand ambassador Lily James, the effect of El Rosa withdrawing its membership a year ago, the organization's approach to lab-grown diamonds, its plans for 2023, and much more. David is an old friend of the podcast, and his perspective on marketing diamonds always gives us great insight as to how the product and the industry at large is positioned in the luxury market and in pop culture in general. This time was no different, so please enjoy my conversation with David Kelly. Hi, David Kelly. It's great to have you back on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, very good. I mean, it's great to be back here. It's, I was looking back, it was kind of the end of 2021 when we last spoke. And it just seems this industry is destined for so many changes, you know, in such a short period of time, how the world has changed since then. Right, absolutely. It's a completely different industry environment that we have. And what's it been now, two or three years that you've been in the industry? And you've seen so much evolve and change in that time, right? Yeah, I took over in the role uh, January 2020. Of course, we didn't know then that within kind of two and a half months, the, the whole COVID pandemic was going to hit. And that obviously was on a global scale that our generation has never seen before. We have other challenges within the industry that I know we'll talk about. We had the Ukraine crisis breakout almost exactly a year ago now. It's certainly been a challenging time, but I, I think uh, our industry has proved to be incredibly flexible, incredibly resilient. And so I still carry that same enthusiasm that I did when I walked into this role three years ago. You've also seen sort of the markets go through these periods of crisis and then also go through these periods of recovery, particularly from COVID. And all these events directly affect your your operations and the work that you're doing at the Natural Diamond Council. And so we'll get into the nitty gritty of the various geopolitical events that have occurred in the last year and how that affects the NDC. But maybe a good place to start is measuring success, maybe is a better way to refer to it for the NDC. And through these ebbs and flows of the market environment, how do you approach that monitoring of your progress in the different programs that you're involved in? So I think the first thing I would say, Avi, is that these issues and crises that are outside our control, how much they impact on us really comes down to how much we let them impact us on a long-term basis. I think our industry can become obsessed with short-termism and how the outside world is going to impact on us. But my view has always been is that this is an amazing industry. The consumer loves diamonds and diamond jewelry. So as long as we stay focused on that, then that's what really matters to us. So in a way, it's been kind of how do we take what's happening externally into consideration, but to a certain extent, also block out that noise and say, we have a very specific mission. When she's buying diamond jewelry, she also wants to escape from challenges in the world. And so for us, it's about inspiring consumers and setting out that diamond dream and just staying focused on it. So how do we measure it? Well, we launched as the Natural Diamond Council two and a half years ago. It was June 2020. It was a challenging time for everyone, but we felt good about what we were launching as the NDC. It's been incredibly successful. Clearly, there's been learnings along the way there, but we decided we were going to focus on digital primarily. That's where our consumer is. That's where our audience is. 
So we very much changed our focus to focus on the digital platform and engagement on those digital platforms has gone up exponentially. We focused on some major partnerships and we've had some great partnerships with many major retailers around the world. And that's helped extend the voice that we have. We've built relationships with key editors and press. So for us, it's been really establishing ourselves. And as I often remind the teams, we are only just over two and a half years into this as the NDC and reputations take time to build. But if I could go back to three years ago and try to anticipate all of the external challenges, but where we'd be at this point, then I think it's a huge credit to our teams and all of our partners that we've got to where we are and have the influence that we do. Well, as you mentioned a few times now that you started just as COVID was breaking out, but I'd like to focus on that recovery from COVID. 2021, we know, was a record year for the industry. And so you were operating in that positive trajectory that the market was undergoing. And so does your focus change in that environment? How do you jump on that bandwagon and make sure then that there is a momentum that you can carry on as growth may slow, as we've seen in the subsequent year? I'm not quite as aligned on what caused the growth as others in the industry are, to be absolutely honest. I think last year, 2022, was more of an incredible year than 2021. And I know probably when the year numbers come through, it'll be slightly down on 21. But I think in the context of very challenging conditions in China, I think the stock markets being down 20% plus at one point during last year, rising interest rates, the media getting concerned about forthcoming recessions, etc., I think the performance last year was exceptional, even compared with 2021. So for me, I'm not too sure that 2021 was just about the COVID factors and travel. People in the US had been traveling through 2021. The airports were busy, maybe not with international travel. So for me, I believe and I hope it to be true that we've actually, the changes that we've made as an industry have stepped us up to a new level that is now a long-term level. It's it's nothing to do with COVID. COVID precipitated it. COVID was the catalyst for us to make some changes. But I really do believe that our industry has made a step up and this is now a new long-term position that we'll be in. But I also think there's considerable amount of growth that can come ahead of us if we continue to evolve as quickly and as diligently as we did through the 2020 and 2021. I'd agree with you that I think 2022 was particularly impressive. When I sort of in my mind make those comparisons, I make the comparison between 22 and and 2019 as a better indicator, because I think 2020 and 21 can maybe be seen as one prolonged sort of period that there was that pent up demand that was going to be released. And so both were kind of anomaly years, but that that was maintained through these various crises. And you didn't mention the geopolitical challenge that the industry faced as well, plus the US economic and the prolonged sort of the lingering effect of COVID in China. I think 2022 was really a testing year for the industry. And I think that has established sort of a a strong base or it was proof that there is a strong base from which to build. Yeah. And I think 2023, from what we hear, has got off to a good start as well. Clearly, we all believe that China will grow considerably this year relative to last year. The U.S. market conditions seem to have been good in the first four or five weeks of the month. So we very much look at consumers and how consumers behave. When we look at consumer behavior, there is definitely a higher interest, a higher engagement in and a higher desire for diamond jewelry than pre-COVID. And that's what we at the NDC are looking to build upon with what we do and, and how we invest our resources. 
Right. Um, having said all that, and I agree with you about that consumers do seem engaged, more engaged, I think, interested in jewellery. There is always that fascination and love for the product. But there is also this return of the experience economy, and we're seeing that the international travel is fully booked. And so there is the broader spread of discretionary spending as there was pre-COVID. It's kind of back to the competition, in air quotes, is consumers are looking for experiences again. And my question to you is, in your programs and your work with retailers in particular, how would you assess the jewelry retail experience? Is the industry giving the consumer the experience that consumers are looking for as they're getting in those sort of technology stores? If you're going to an Apple store, for example, that meshing of experience and products, the industry seems well positioned to take advantage of, but sometimes always seems like it's lacking to some extent. Yeah, it's a challenging question because obviously the retail makeup is very different in different markets around the world. So if I start in the US, which is a bigger market, heavily dominated by luxury independent retailers, and I think they have built a very strong reputation in local communities. They are known by their clients. They're trusted by their clients. They're multi-generational. Their clients' families are multi-generational. And I think they are also evolving to recognize that this consumer is changing. This consumer is predominantly female now. She's spending a much higher proportion on self-purchase. She's having a large say in the engagement ring. So I think they are evolving their stores. When I see stores have been renovated, they're much more likely to include hospitality areas, for example, much more likely to see it as being an experience rather than just a series of cases to walk around with a partner to make a selection. So now clearly it's expensive to renovate stores and that takes time, but we're starting to see as stores are renovated in the US. So it's becoming a much more feminine environment, much more experiential and less intimidating to people who haven't been into a jewelry store before. I was waiting for the less intimidating reference because that's how I, that's my perception of jewelry retail, wherever you go. That there's a mental hurdle that you need to take to enter the store and to feel relaxed in the store. So I'm glad to hear that there is that sort of movement to make it a more relaxed and inviting environment. Yeah, in the US, actually, we've just conducted a mystery shopping report that we'll be announcing within the next two weeks. And that was really looking at stores and the experience of consumers going into the stores. And actually, interestingly, in the stores that the mystery shoppers went into, and we used a third-party agency, one of the more disappointing areas actually was the level of education of the sales professionals around diamonds, where diamonds come from. There are clearly a lot of myths around the diamond industry. And so one of the big areas of work that we're going to help our partners with and support the retail industry in the US is helping with the education and the knowledge and the whole storytelling behind natural diamonds, which clearly there is some scope to improve upon. But then if you go to China, where there are bigger players, there are major retailers there that take up a greater share of the market. I think their ability to execute across thousands of stores both own stores and franchises, I think is really impressive. And we're very fortunate to have a great partnership with Chow Thai Fook and a couple of other retailers. But I always marvel at their ability to execute campaigns across so many stores, so many stores format across such a diverse country. And so, again, we're very fortunate to have a partnership with such a major retailer. And then in India, again, I was in India just three or four weeks ago. And I, again, it's very interesting to see how stores are converting more space specifically to diamond jewelry. Obviously, jewelry stores in India are much more dedicated to gold. Gold's had a much 
stronger share of the jewelry market in India. But I was very impressed to see how leaders in the market there are creating space that look and feel differently, really dedicated to diamond jewelry. And so they too are seeing a change in their audience and the kind of consumer that's coming in to buy diamond jewelry. Mm, that's very interesting. And does that translate then to the campaigns that you're running? Because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my perception of your latest collaboration with Lily James as your brand ambassador, that there was a change in the style of messaging in your working with Lily James, as opposed to the previous campaign with Anna de Armas, where the previous campaign was very sort of, it was almost a throwback to those central advertising campaigns where there's a central clip that's produced and directed, whereas your work with Lily James seems more sort of personal. You take, you know, she visited Botswana, she's telling the story of her experience with diamonds in a more personal way and sort of maybe trying to tap into that consumer mindset of bringing a personal experience to the narrative. Yes, we, we were very fortunate to work with Anna de Armas. And again, just to put it into context, we signed her up and planned that campaign before we'd even launched the National Diamond Council, because that was all put together early in the first half of 2020. Amazingly, we got to shoot the campaign. I've never been so stressed in my career as when I had to make the decision about whether we shoot the campaign or not, with COVID being where it was. But we knew this industry depended on our ability to advertise and market. And we had a very stressful time, but a very productive time in shooting that campaign with Anna. But with Lily James, it was when we were looking to sign on a new ambassador, we really wanted someone to also be inquisitive and understanding about the natural diamond industry. And really right from the outset with Lily, it was, she was very engaged in the conversation. She researched everything about the natural diamond industry herself. And when we said, look, as part of being our ambassador, we'd like you to go to Botswana and see the importance of natural diamonds, uh, the importance of them to the communities and the people of the country from where they come. She was all in. It was an incredible trip we had with her. She was so engaged to the point of actually being quite emotional about some of the things that we saw there. It also happened to be my first trip to Botswana. It was my first trip to see a mine because of the COVID restrictions. I hadn't been able to get out to actually see a mine until then. So all in all, it, it was an incredible trip. And having her voice through her platforms and our platforms talk honestly and with integrity about exactly what natural diamonds do and how they contribute to the world was a very, very important part of what we do, especially as pretty much everything we do is digital. So it's social media. This is where the conversations happen. This is where our audience is being influenced. So it was so important that her voice and how we filmed her visit all contributed to the education of consumers around our world. I'd like to connect that experience to what you mentioned about US retailer and the misinformation, oh, I don't know if you said misinformation, but the sort of lack of knowledge and education at the retail level about the role that natural diamonds play in society and the good that it's doing. And with your work in educating retailers, connect to this sort of broader campaign that let's focus on consumers. Can they tap into, are you tapping into that experience that Lily had in, and you had in Botswana to work with retailers so that there is greater awareness that they can then transmit that message to consumers? Yes. Consumers now want to know what they're buying and where it comes from. And quite often that doesn't even happen when they get to a store. They're doing that research online through social media, etc. So it's what we call beyond the four C's. 
there's clearly there's the four C's, there's understanding diamonds themselves. But consumers now want to know the provenance of where things come from. Who, who's behind this? What are their values? What are their ethics? Can I relate to this product category? Is so important. My observation when I first joined was that diamonds were still highly desirable. But how relevant are they? Is it you can be desirable, but if they're your mother's diamonds or your grandmother's diamonds, I'd rather stand, spend money on a new bag or footwear or a new iPhone than... Desirability is one thing, but for us, it's about speaking to them in a language that they relate to and they find connects with them and how they express that and how they ask those questions. Sometimes it's online, sometimes it's social media, sometimes it's in stores. And what we found is that because the consumer isn't necessarily asking the question in the store, the sales professionals aren't necessarily always forthcoming with the information, but it is directly influencing their decision making. And so we're going to, we're going to be coming out with new educational programs for retailers. They actually, it's not a case of waiting for a client or a consumer to come in and ask the store these questions. If to raise the desire and the likelihood to purchase, we need to share that story with them so that they feel a passion and a connection with what they're about to invest in. Right. And I hate to bring it up, but I kind of have to in terms of, because I think it relates very strongly to the story that the retailer is telling. And that's the issue of lab-grown diamonds. And the growth that I understand that's happening in the lab-grown sector, firstly, I understand it's from a lower base and there's always going to be that growth at the beginning of a product category. But the more concerning element of it is the message that that retail is conveying to the consumer relating to lab grown and the sales pitch that they're proactively putting forth. And so firstly, just as an observation, I think that that makes that work for the natural diamond industry all the more important that you're doing in educating and working with jewelers. But I'm interested in whether with the growth of the lab grown sector, if the NDC's attitude and sort of how you relate to the product category if it's changed at all, and how you are working with retailers to break certain myths that are out there that they may be promoting towards consumers. Yeah, and those that know me know that I've tried to stay away from the LGD discussion. I see so much potential in natural diamonds. And I think we've proved that over the last two years. Yes, lab-grown diamonds in the US have become, uh, there's still a small share, but a growing percentage of the share. But we've still seen significant growth in the market in natural diamonds. So it kind of tells me that those two things can live together. I think where we have to step in from time to time is where there are myths that are being created that aren't true. And those are damaging to the industry as a whole. And we are going to come out with, at the end of March, a major campaign to explode some of those myths. And some of them are around lab-grown diamonds. Because we in the industry all know that most lab-grown diamonds aren't being produced using sustainable energy. And yet the consumer is being misled to believe that they are. So we just have to come out, not in any way attacking lab-grown diamonds, but simply here are the facts. You make the decision whether a natural diamond or a lab-grown diamond is better for you. But we have a duty to make sure that you're serviced with the fact about sustainability, about values, about pricing, and all of those areas is really important. So alongside that, we'll also be looking at some of the other myths uh, and helping to explain more about where diamonds come from, the values they come from, how the KP works in a way that the consumer understands and how we protect the consumer from that perspective. So yes, for us, it's not just about the dream and the beautiful images and the desirability, but it's also about ensuring that the trust and integrity of this industry is protected. 
because we all benefit from it. There are over 10 million livelihoods that are that benefit from this industry, many in less privileged parts of the world than, than we all live in. And we have a duty to protect the integrity of this industry. So that's why we're going to be coming out with this myth-busting report and then a campaign to accompany that, just to make sure that the clear facts are understood by the industry, by retailers, and then their clients, so that they can make an informed decision as to what kind of diamond they want to purchase. And will that be a consumer-facing campaign as well, or within the trade, for the trade to work with? It will be both. It will be for the trade, but we'll also be promoting it through our consumer channels, predominantly social media. Well, I think um, a lot of our listeners will be pleased to hear that and will look forward to that campaign because one point of feedback that I have received regarding the, the NDC is the point that you've made at the beginning of that discussion, that the strategy to be proactive in highlighting the virtues of natural diamonds rather than be defensive or attacking the lab-grown product. And I think many in the industry felt as they're seeing this tremendous growth and broader acceptance of lab grown, they wanted to see some sort of proactive voice defending the claims that the lab grown industry is making about natural diamonds and being proactive to in a more sort of combative way, I think. And so I think they will be, it doesn't sound like that you're taking that to the extreme in your campaign that you're working on, but I think that many will be happy to hear that there is something in the works. Yeah, I mean, it's not combative, it's not defensive, it's simply a case saying, look, here are the facts, and the consumer doesn't have the real facts put in front of them about it, so there are a number of ways that we just want to get the facts in front of them, and then say, now you make the decision. Likewise, the issue of disclosure. There are still some companies in the world, some lab-grown companies in the world, that aren't properly disclosing that their diamonds are lab-grown, and Unfortunately, it's not what we want to be doing, but unfortunately, it does fall upon us in the different jurisdictions around the world to take action with the relevant local authorities to say, look, these are the rules, these are the guidelines, this is how consumers are being misled, and asking them to advise those companies to correct their actions. So again, it's not where we spend most of our time, but if we as collectively as an industry don't come together and say, this has to be done properly, we have to protect consumer trust, then we risk everything that our industry has stood for over a very long period of time. And I will echo what other guests on our podcast have expressed, that it really begins at the retail jeweler and how they're selling and the options. It's fine to present their consumers with the option, but how they're presenting that makes a big difference. And that's a point of contention, I think, within the trade. Yes, and we will be alongside our mystery shopping report, we'll be announcing a big education program for retailers that will enable their sales professionals to do an online course on the values of natural diamonds. So that is really important. But also the digital space is really important. Abby. A lot of these consumers are coming into retailers with preconceived ideas. And so we also have to be very active in that space to say, actually, just these are the questions to ask. We're not putting this forward in, out of defense or in terms of confront the issues, but if you really want to know what you're buying, these are the questions you need to ask and seek genuine answers around them. Right. The other area of concern also relates to those disclosures that need to be made between natural and lab grown, but also in terms of the source of one's diamond that the industry is selling to the consumer, and particularly with regard to Russian origin goods. And so I'd like to hear, uh, the last time we spoke, it was pre-Russia-Ukraine conflict, but this issue of having such a large supplier to the industry, being El Rosa, effectively off the market, being sanctioned by the biggest market for diamond jewelry in the United States. 
States presents all sorts of complications and challenges to the industry and the NDC included, of course. So how has the conflict and these sanctions and the sort of bifurcation that we're starting to see in the industry of the supply chain, how is that affecting the NDC's operations and your messaging? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we were directly impacted when Al Rosa suspended themselves from the NDC. Al Rosa was almost half of our financial funding. So it had a significant impact on us that we're still feeling now. We did a lot of social monitoring from a consumer perspective, both at the outbreak of the crisis and since. And actually, we're not seeing too much from a consumer perspective. I think the consumer is much more focused on energy, fuels, oil, gas, etc., to where that's coming from. My feeling is the consumers got a degree of trust in their own governments to figure out sanctions and where to put them and how to enact them. Clearly, sanctions on Russian goods in our industry is challenging with, you know, in terms of traceability. So we very much focus on the consumer end of this. And I say we, we saw a little bit of social media noise back in February and March last year, but since then, there's very little that we see or hear from the consumer perspective. Mm. My impression that consumers are generally not so aware that Russia is such a large producer of diamonds and supplier to the industry. And so that may work in our favor, but it's certainly a reputational risk that is present. Yes, we always monitor these reputational issues. And that's why it's so good just to understand how the consumer is reacting and be ready and prepared in the event that they react in a way that you don't expect. But the benefit of digital is that you can see these things happening very quickly. You can see trends building up. And at the moment, we don't see that. We will cross that bridge should that happen. Mm. A lot of your messaging has always been to showcase the good that diamonds are doing in countries like Botswana and elsewhere. And that's on a micro level. And so is there space for the NDC to get involved in a more micro level in that messaging? And here, you know, you would point to various industry initiatives through which the trade traces diamonds and prove provenance. I'm wondering if there is space for the NDC to develop a campaign that sort of highlights the various provenance programs the industry is presenting, and that I think that might be impressive to your average consumer. Yes, campaigns, we run campaigns every day. So we have 350 at least campaigns a year. And what I mean by that is articles on our website, social media posts. And that's the benefit of digital is that you are constantly telling these narratives and stories both within the industry and to the end consumer. We always have to do that in the context of understanding what actually interests the consumer. There's a lot that we get excited about, but our consumer doesn't. She has a different set of values from maybe those that are within the industry. And it's typical of every industry. But I think above all else, I think we should be incredibly proud of what we achieve. And it's whilst we are rightly focused on challenges that we have within the industry, this industry has come an immense, distance over the last 20 years and maybe because of the history of the industry or for other reasons it was before my time but this industry didn't wait for sustainability to become a buzzword kind of let's call it five seven years ago we have been on that path long before pretty much any other industry i don't know of another industry that has done what we do and you know i was out in surat middle of last year and seeing just how important this industry is to that city, to the people, to the jobs, the, the hospitals, the industry supports there. So everywhere I go, whether it's retailers in local towns and how they support the local communities, there's, I don't think there's another industry that cares more than we do. 
Is that message getting out there enough? No, it's not. Is that our job to do? Yes, it is amongst other people. But I think sometimes we can be too defensive and anxious about our industry when actually by comparison with any other industry, I think it's an incredible industry. I think it's incredible what people do and mostly not seeking to gain value or benefit from it. They do it because it's the right thing to do. And we do have to talk more about that. Whether the traceability and the technology that governs the traceability is of value to the consumer to understand, I think time will tell whether that is the case or not. But for sure, consumers want to know about the story, the people, and the values of the people that are bringing the product, in this case, diamond jewelry, to them. Those are fair points. And I think the industry has self-regulated in an exemplary way. I think there are always holes and gaps to fill, but it's been forced into it. And also, I think, not only because of various crises that it's faced, but also because it's such a high-stakes emotional product. There's so much emotion that's tied into the product that these issues of responsible sourcing and having a positive impact on society, on our environment, it adds to the emotional value of the diamond. And I think, personally, I think in the long run, there will be a premium on those responsibly sourced goods. And not even in the long run, I think it's coming maybe sooner than we think. And I think essentially we'll see it in branding. But that's a whole different discussion. I'm sure you can spend hours discussing on your own yeah but it's also diamonds particularly they are forever so when people are buying disposable goods that's when you're causing damage that's when people maybe are making the wrong short-term decision because their their values are only locked into those disposable goods for a short period of time as you said jewelry is a is the biggest single symbol of your values and what you stand for as I always say, if I sit down for dinner with someone I haven't met before and I talk to them about fashion or anything else, conversations don't last that long because people don't feel engaged in it. If I sit down with someone and talk to them about their jewellery, the conversation lasts the evening. It's not you explaining the industry like I do. It's them telling their personal stories. Yeah, it's telling them when they bought it, when it was bought for them, what it symbolises, what it means. And therefore, it is a very, very considered decision. And more than any other product, they want that decision to reflect the values that they hold. So it's completely understandable why us explaining our industry in a way that the consumer can digest it is so important. Mm, absolutely. Um, just one last question relating to El Rosa. And as you mentioned, El Rosa famously covered a large portion of your budget and withdrew from the organization when the conflict began. And so how has that affected your budget moving forward now a year later? What is your projection in terms of the budget that you have, in terms of the budget that you need, and in terms of the campaigns that, and the programs that you want to run? So, as I mentioned earlier on, the roses for spending themselves, kind of, we lost almost half of our budget. And to put that into context, our budget is probably around 10% of what Signet spends in the US alone. It's probably about 7 or 8% of what each of the major brands spends on a global basis. So, relative to what it takes to grow brands, our budget is still tight. Having said that, I really do believe that with the impact of partners that we have, both retailers, press, et cetera, that our expertise in the digital world, in content creation and media buying, that I do believe that our impact is a multiple of the resources that we have at our disposal. So finances are really important. The more that we have, the quicker we can make an impact on this market. So we always say marketing is a factor of money and time. If you have more money, you can make a quicker and bigger impact. Uh, if you have less money, it just takes you longer in what you do. 
for that. But we are also going to be announcing shortly that we are opening up the NVC to more partners. We have built a significant expertise in each of our major markets around content and creation and storytelling, significant expertise around media buying in the digital areas. So we're actually going to be opening ourselves up to have more partners from within the industry join us and join our community to build together. What we find is that when everybody is doing the right thing, when everybody is creating beautiful content, investing cleverly, then the whole of the industry rises together, as we've seen over the last year or two. So we're just in the process of finalizing a program that will allow partners to come on board. And really, we can help support and grow this industry with more partners as we've proved to date with some of the major retail partners that have joined us early on. That would be extending your membership beyond the seven members from the mining segment that are founding members of the NDC. And so I'm tapping other segments, the manufacturing sector, the retail sector to become sort of paid members and partners of the NDC. Yeah, I mean, our members will always be our board members. So the six mining companies that are our members. So this doesn't affect our members per se, but to have more partners come on board and say, look, okay, how can we together build this industry? And it's different whoever I speak to. As I said, I was in Mumbai just a few weeks ago speaking with the major diamond manufacturers there and major jewelry manufacturers there. All want to participate in a different way. So it's not a case of a one-stop shop as to how to do it. But we've met with a lot of designers and smaller brands that want to use our capabilities. So it's not a one-stop blueprint, but it's saying, how do we all come on board together? How do we create a community that using the expertise of the NDC, using the investments, bringing in other investment and just multiplying the visibility of the diamond message? And I say we're very, the great partners we've got on board so far have made a huge contribution to the growth of the industry. And we're speaking with many other partners in the industry as to how to continue that and to expand that in a way that just grows this industry to reach its full potential. Okay, that's good to hear. Thank you, David. I have two more questions for you, but I'm going to try and roll them into one because we've gone longer than our typical podcast and it doesn't feel that way. So I appreciate your candid response and I've really enjoyed our discussion so far. So my final two questions were related to fashion trends that you might be drawing from in your campaigns. And I keep saying the word campaigns, it it feels a little dirty, (laughs) but the influence maybe that you want to express and reflection of what's happening in the consumer space and in the fashion space. And in the past, you've published lookbooks. And that's the first part of the question is, what are you seeing at the moment in terms of the fashion trends that are translating to the jewelry market? And secondly, are you putting out another lookbook as we approach the summer season? And my second or third question of that segment is, what are your plans for 2023? I'd be interested to hear if you are working with Lily James on any further programs. So you asked me three questions, so apologies if I get them in the wrong order or I forget one of them. But if I go in reverse order, because that's the one I recall quickest. So yes, Lily James will continue to be our ambassador through 2023. We're just sitting down with her team now as to what that looks like and what activities we can do. So she's been great for us and we will carry on doing that. Over and above that, to say we are looking at some of the things we've discussed already, the myth-busting campaign, the education of retail sales professionals. But above all, the partnership program is going to be really important to us because that's going to be about how we help the industry and expand the visibility of the natural diamond message. So that's going to be a very important thing that we do. In terms of trends, yes, we continue to bring out trend reports. So we bring out trend reports in China, in India, and in the US. 
We will be, in fact, our India team today is shooting the new trend report for that market. So we're literally just seeing images coming out of that as we speak. We will be bringing out new trends in time for JCK in the US. So we are looking on that. Fashion trends, I think nostalgia is a big trend at the moment. People are looking back to iconic products, probably because of the challenges around fast fashion and the realization that this continual speed of fashion trends is too quick. It's just not sustainable in any way, shape or form. So nostalgia and looking back to iconic products, iconic brands and how they are being reinvented in there. And the other one is streetwear and hip hop. And again, that's something that that we very much saw coming through even back in 2020 when we shot our first campaign with Anna. We started seeing that coming through. But even yesterday, we were just looking at the trends from the runways and how many diamond chains, uh, Cuban chains were were on the runways. It's And jewelry being shown in a way that hasn't been seen before. So that still is a very important trend that will continue on a, on a global basis. That's great and very exciting stuff, David. Thanks very much. And you've got your hands full. You certainly aren't lacking in what to do at the NDC. So we are keeping an eye on you guys and very encouraged by what we've seen so far. So keep up the good work. Great. Well, look, thank you for all your support to Avi and all the team at Rappaport. And this is an industry that rises together and it takes everyone to participate and tell these great stories about our industry. So really appreciate all that you do. And I look forward to seeing you in person later in the year. Absolutely. Me too. It's long overdue. David, thanks very much for joining the podcast again. And we look forward to having you again in the future. So thanks very much. And thank you to all our listeners. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rapport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us on rapport.com, follow Rapport Group on Instagram and follow Rapport on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes.